Hey everyone, welcome back to Vampire Weekday. Once again, I'm joined by my co-host Kevin as we take on Sympathy by Vampire Weekend off of their fourth LP, Father of the Bride. Flamenco Ting Sympathy is how Genius describes it. Definitely a different sound than what we're used to with Vampire Weekend. It comes at you strong and it comes at you hard. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on here most of the time. Uh, I think the thing that stands out to me is we have that 12-bar blues chord progression. And frankly, if we didn't have that, I don't know where this song would go. I mean, it is it is truly all over the place. Uh, like you say, it's flamenco-tinged. Uh, there's some fun guitar parts. Uh, we have what appears to be that, like, bullet bill, like, lock-on, like, sound effect in the middle of one of those <laughs> verses there. Um <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't think of it like that but yeah yeah i, I mean that's so. that's that is immediately what came to my mind um this is really something else um and as we talked about briefly at the end of it, the uh episode last week the car commercials love this uh tim cook loves this one too um this is this is a song that people are going to recognize or at the yeah. very least a beat that people are going to recognize yeah i i definitely think the um intro has a lot to play with how to view the song with I think I take myself self too serious. It's not that serious with Steve Lacey saying it. Um, I feel like this song is just them having fun with it. You know, <laughs> them I mean, being I in their studio and just putting sounds up there and seeing what sticks. Musically, yes. Yeah. And lyrically, I would say no. No, not at all. Lyrically. But, but, and I guess that's why I feel. I have opinions on the Steve Lacey bit at the beginning, but we can obviously get to that once we start flushing this thing out. Um, but yeah, musically, it's totally about just having fun. I mean, this is REL just kind of like going all Daft Punk on a soundboard probably and just having yeah. a good time with this. Um, yeah, it's just unique. Like You're going to find something new every time you listen to the song. Yeah, it's kind of him flexing, kind of the victory <laughs> lap. But yeah, it is interesting because this song comes right after we talked about this in the my mistake episode um but it comes after my mistake which is this very melancholy sad song where he's down in the dumps and then it's immediately followed by i think i take myself too serious it's not that serious mm-hmm. so when i first listened to this album the day it was released i remember noticing that contrast and being like oh Okay, so this is a different part of the album. This this is the page turn. So different mindset needs to be turned on. That's a really good way of putting it. It's almost like a like a Kanye skit or something without actually being a fully fledged thing. You know, it's actually a, a juncture here. Is it a Vampire Weekday episode without a Kanye reference? No, no. Next question. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the music very fun, very different unlike anything Vampire Weekend's really done before. Uh, you have the um, double bass um, going, uh, leading the way with the, like you said, 12-bar uh, jazz line. And so lyrically, it's a very different story. It, it is interesting that there's an intro and lyrically, it takes on a very controversial and serious subject i would say that usually people get very serious about Mm -hmm. so what is that subject kevin we're talking about islamophobia here nico it's uh (laughs) it's tough and i mean frankly i don't know how the first verse 
fits into that theme, but we have a couple of pretty, I mean, heavily, I mean, it's, it's, it is heavily suggested that this is about religious relations in this song. Um, I think that's mostly evidenced by that. I guess that's the second verse, uh, Judeo Christianity. I'd never heard the words enemies for centuries until there was a third. That was the first time I pretty much realized, okay, this is almost certainly about Islamic relations with other religions. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think I read verse one as using the veil of a relationship in order to um, display the Judeo-Christian alliance forming against Islam. So alone in someone's bedroom, she firmly took my hand. The isolation ended. I began to understand. In the ping pong match of constant desire, I was never going to get ahead because I was looking in the mirror. So I read it as she was maybe Christianity. It really doesn't matter who is who, but one is Christianity and one is Judaism because like he said, enemies for centuries, these two religions did not get along for a very long time, but in modern politics, they are hand, hand in hand usually um, and kind of uh, have this alliance going that uh, use each other for um, to get ahead. And they've formed this common enemy with Islam is what Ezra is saying in order to um, get ahead and for, uh, progress their agenda. So I, I read it as the forging of this alliance written as a relationship um, because it seems that it was unexpected that she took his hand, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I, I think with that in mind, I really like that line because I was looking in the mirror. You know, as a, as a Christian, I almost kind of, I, I, I chuckle at the fact that there's some sense in which we're all Jewish. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's all, I mean, there's some obvious differences. There was a fork in the road about 2000 years ago, but generally there's a lot of the same stuff going on. You know what oh, I mean? So sure. it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. And to be fair, there's a lot of similarities with Islam as well. Uh, mm-hmm. That fork in the road just happened to take place at a different time. But I, I, I really like that read of the first verse there. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I actually took a class in undergrad on, so it was an intro to Old Testament class. So I was talking about the Old Testament of the Bible, but we actually read it in strictly a Jewish lens. So without the aid of the New Testament. So a lot of people wanted to bring in the New Testament constantly, and the professor had to remind them. We haven't gotten to Jesus yet. There's no Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're reading this in a strictly Jewish lens. Um, but yeah, there's very much we Christians are still Jewish in a certain stent, sense. Every pretty much every holiday that um, Judaism celebrates, Christians theoretically could celebrate. Like there's no no wrong in that. Um, Christians just believe there was a fulfillment of that Old Testament of the law with Jesus. Um, And that's, like you said, where the fork comes in. But then I took a class also on Islam and Christianity. And so, again, there's more similarities there than people like to think. But 
is Islam so it, Islam forked from probably Christianity more so. Um, and so it might be easy to try to read into a similar relationship between the two, but in reality, it's not viewed that way. So Islam, um, they would never view themselves as like Christianity, like forwarded, right? In the same sense that we view or Christians view ourselves as Judaism brought forward, right? Um, and so in that sense, they are different. But like I said, there's a bunch of similarities between the three religions, which makes it so wild that they're, the differences, as small as they are, lead to so many of the geopolitical mm-hmm. tension and wars within modern culture. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very interesting point you make there where it's like, there, there definitely are some similarities between, between Christianity uh, and Islam, where you kind of have this central prophetic figure um, kind of come along at a, a later date, quote unquote, post Old, uh, Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I don't think Christians would think as I don't think Christians would think of Islam as a extension of Christianity, and then vice versa. Um, so yeah, I think this is starting to carry a little bit more here. You know, we come to that first verse. Uh, we talked about the second verse here, Judeo-Christianity. I'd never heard the words enemies for centuries until there was a third. It really is kind of a funny term, Judeo-Christianity, because we've used it all the time on this show uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but it's funny because it's like, we're talking about two separate religions and yet there is a lot of common ground. I mean, we share the old Testament. Um, but then, yeah, you, you talk about this progression, um, almost on a longer time scale, the idea of gradually coming together. You have, you come from a point where you say, I'd never heard the words. And then that until there was a third situation where, yeah, things are coming together towards a common, I guess, goal you could say in a in a weird kind of messed up way yeah it's judeo-christianity is definitely a modern term and there's no mixing words about that and so in 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 prior history um judaism and christianity were feuding and had wars against each other um constantly so there was no judeo-christianity to speak of back then Mm -hmm. um it's definitely a result of um, partially this, the, the way that um, academics have mixed the two um, together. And so in the field of, say, theology, um, it is very common for a Jewish theologian to intermix with a Christian theologian in their ideas and also just go back and forth. Um, and that's healthy but it's less common for that same intermixing to happen between Christianity and Islam to a lesser extent and Judaism and Islam even more so. Um, That being said, it would be very healthy if it did happen. And there are people promoting that. Um, Shout out to Professor Reynolds at Notre Dame. Uh, He's a key person promoting uh, that intermixing of dialogue. but that being said, it's it's not there yet. And I, I think that is partially what Ezra is getting at, is that we've got to a point where Judaism and Christianity 
are united on this front, but at what cost? We've we've um, created this Islamophobia um, present within our modern culture. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. Obviously, I mean, we've had a number of events over the past fifty years that have kind of in, in, in kind of the geopolitical sphere that have pushed that forward. And obviously, I mean, the tensions that have occurred in the Middle East for thousands and thousands of years have done no good at bringing these forces together. But like you said, yeah, for a variety of reasons, Judaism and Christianity have kind of coalesced in that sense. Yeah, I, I do think it is interesting that there is not, there, there's probably something here, but there's not a more explicit reference to the Israel-Palestine conflict within the song. Because I feel like the song dances around it, but never touches it. Yeah, and so they have touched on it quote, somewhat directly in other songs before, yes. you know, so it, but, and you're right. You think it would make sense to do it here. And yet maybe there's more power in them not bringing it up. You know, it does, it doesn't muddy the point at all. Um, if we are to read it through this lens, which I think it's, I think at this point we're, we're, we're making it clear that this is what the song is about it's not muddying the lens by focusing on a specific conflict or specific groups of people. It's making it general because this is something that happens in the, in the United States. This is something that happens in Europe. I mean, this is something that happens outside the middle East. Mm, okay. So if there's no specific conflict, what do you read of verse three, Diego Garcia surrounded by the waves? So that ocean, one, yeah. So that one, you're, yeah. So Diego Garcia is an atoll in the Indian Ocean. I just learned about this. That has been used as a Air Force base by both the British and the Americans uh, for some time now. I believe it's British-controlled territory, and it's been crucial in our uh, kind of allied, I guess, U.S. allied um, operations in the Middle East um, over the past 30, 40 years. Um, so, I guess in that sense, then yes there is something a little bit more pointed about what's going on there. Because obviously, as we know, um, the United States is definitely taking the side of Israel in pretty much all those conflicts. Um, and the U S isn't explicitly a Christian nation. And yet in many senses, it is in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, a number of the founders were agnostic or atheists, but I mean, generally, the reason the pilgrims came here is because they they wanted to escape persecution they were they were christians that want to escape persecution there's that's the reason we're here you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think a lot of the founders were theists in the sense that they didn't care about religion but they did think there was a god yes but um but either way they weren't explicitly religion religious themselves um but yeah i, I do agree that U.S. in general views itself as a Christian nation, um, which does provide these interesting political stances where um, there's not, there are very few issues that Democrats and Republicans agree on, but one of them is supporting Israel because of the fact that most people view the U.S. as a Christian nation and we form this Judeo-Christian alliance as we say, which um, is a modern thing. So I just I I just pulled this up. Um, as of the 2020, um, well, it's not the census; it's a Pew Research Group poll. 
Uh, 65% of Americans identify as Christian, 28% identify as irreligious, uh, 6% as others. So definitely a majority of Americans identify themselves as Christian. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I really like the line that follows with, it was full of love and the warmest fellow feeling. Um, kind of just making fun of these military alliances like oh there's so much love there like it was like a warm fuzzy feeling <laughs> I mean I, you, it's weird but like especially when you romanticize like I think of like World War II and like we very much romanticize the idea of like MacArthur and like Churchill like working together on this sort of thing you yeah. know what I mean like yeah all those I think pictures. It's, it's really easy to see that extended to here you know what I mean oh for sure yeah it's all those pictures where the allies leaders are together um talk strategizing and talking um are kind of propped up but then you realize one of them is Stalin who killed millions yeah who knows people forget I mean if we didn't have the USSR on our side so so even if these alliances are warmy fuzzy feeling Mm -hmm. they aren't necessarily with good people and i mean it's also in any event it's bloodshed i mean you Mm -hmm. we we can debate the necessity of world war ii as much as we want um the germans were like six months away from having the the u2 ready to go or the v2 excuse me not the u2 the u2 was about 40 years later in ireland but um um the v2 anyway that's a whole other thing i I think world war ii is one of the few universally agreed upon necessary wars yes (laughs) yes (laughs) there are very few wars that that can be said about but i think world war ii is one of them (laughs) you'd say the cult the current culture war is another one right (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i don't know about that one love logging on every day to fight the culture war And then, and then we got the Falklands War, right? That's yeah, the Falklands War. Agreed upon, I right? just okay. <laughs> I was so we were recorded last Wednesday. I was like lying in bed on Wednesday night, like thinking, like I could not imagine like dying for my country to do that. You know what to, I mean? To, like, to get and people did. Land like that nobody cared about. People died. Like yeah. I could not imagine like being told by my superior, like go and like risk your life to do this you know what i mean like yeah. Yeah. if that makes me a bad patriot i'm a bad patriot i mean that might have already been the case who knows i mean <laughs> i don't know who's in charge of these sorts of things i do like this country but maybe that makes me a bad american who knows <laughs> yeah it's worse <laughs> war is bad <laughs> hot take um, but yeah i I, I thought verse three was a nice ad- addition to kind of parody how um, how a lot of these geopolitical standings are sold to the people of the country. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's a, it's a cool verse to add because I think you're right. I mean, I, at first I was thinking it's not really tied to anything particularly, but then this does kind of tie it to a a more specific geopolitical event or series of events mm-hmm. so then verse four i didn't have your sympathy but i knew where to start 
explaining to you patiently that the one who broke my heart would have broken yours and thrown the pieces in the river. So this, if there is a Israel-Palestine reference, is the one, I think. You think so? Yeah. So I think this is Judaism saying to Christianity, I didn't have your sympathy, but I knew where to gain it. Explaining to you patiently that Islam, who has done wrongs against me in my eyes, okay, with Palestine-Israel, would have broken yours, would have wronged you, would have wronged Christianity and thrown the pieces in the river. And so this is Judaism explaining to Christianity why they should form this alliance, um, which then verse five elaborates on with essentially 9-11, bringing it all together and forming that alliance even further. How do you read verse five is 9-11? So desperate for an enemy, but too afraid to kill, use the pain of someone else and triumph for their will. So use the pain of someone else. I read as using that tragedy and the pain caused from it and using it to convince them to form that alliance and go into the Middle East and fight Islam. Um, yeah, so, okay. Yeah. And wow. so then there's also triumph for their will, which is a play on the words triumph of the will which was a propaganda film in nazi germany in 1935 that celebrated hitler and so um i i think this is the commentary on kind of there was this um post 9-11 this kind of call to arms um and propaganda if you want to call it um to get the U.S. on board with going into uh, Iraq at the time, but leading further into other conflicts in the Middle East and start that war. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast in the Iraq war a, a couple of weeks ago, and we were too young for this, but people who were around at the time were, 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 were very, very aware of the idea um, that there was kind of this up, this general upwelling of patriotism, like this idea, like we're going to go out there, we're going to get them. And U.S. politicians at the time were very, very scared of being labeled anti-war, mm -hmm. you know, anti-Iraq war, because it was almost a universal sense, or at least definitely a majority sense that like, this is a thing we should do. Um, and I think Ezra has spoken, I don't remember exactly if he was at the anti-Iraq war march in Manhattan when it happened, but somebody in the band, I think, was there at the time and mm. talking about that experience, um, which, again, we were too young for, but yeah. it, it, it did seem like a, like a really, really interesting time in American history because, I mean, it was the last time that we really, like, actually straight up said we're going to go to war, mm -hmm. and it's still kind of going. Yeah. So you're telling me when you were three, you didn't tell your mom and dad, let's go to that protest. 9-11 <laughs> was actually my first day of preschool. Yeah, I think I was in preschool also. It was. It's, I, my mom said she picked me up at preschool, I think. It was, was it a Monday or a Tuesday? I don't know. <laughs> I, it was because I think I remember talking about this with somebody and about how there were a series of events that actually caused there to be less people in and around the World Trade Center that day. Mm. And I think one of the reasons is because it was a it was a big day for like preschools to be starting. So a lot of folks were out of the office that morning yeah. and stuff like that. 
I mean, just very, I mean, like really dark stuff, but interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, as the, the band has made their views on the Iraq war very clear with holidays. So we, we already know they're very anti Iraq war. Um, But yeah, at the time, like you said, politicians were afraid to be painted anti-war and that's why when you um, see these democratic primaries um, there's not very many candidates young enough or there's no none because you have to be 35 so every candidate was old enough when that stuff happened to have voiced an opinion and so there are so few of them that were actually anti-war that it's it's essentially it's it's a weird thing to view because I think the Democratic Party nowadays is would be anti-war, but who knows? I mean, that's the thing. Like we 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 don't know. You know, it's depending on where you come from. There isn't really an opposition party, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the the vote to go to war was overwhelming. Like yeah. Biden and Clinton both voted to go to war because Bernie was the only major candidate who voted against, right? I think so. Yeah, there was a, a guy. Was it? Because I think John I Delaney think only twenty something people voted no. I think John Delaney might have voted no. I want to look this up. There Senate was, Iraq was, War vote. There was someone in the primaries this past one that was very isolationist, and so they voted no. I don't remember. It's, who it it's was, me. So. I'm I'm isolationist. <laughs> um. Okay. Who did this? All right. Passage for the United States Senate. No, what is this? I'm trying to do a quick Wikipedia deep dive here. Roll call vote, 102nd Congress. Oh, okay, I'm, this is first Iraq war. Second Iraq war vote. <laughs> 77 to 23. Yeah. Those voting against Dick Durbin, current Illinois Senator, Edward, Russ Feingold, Ed Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, I guess, um, voted no. Yes, not many. Lincoln Chafee voted no. Hmm. Did Sanders vote yes? Was he not was he not senator at the time? I guess he wasn't. I know he was anti. There was um when did now I'm now I'm just curious because I really had no sense when Bernie actually became a senator. Yeah, he wasn't a senator at the time. Maybe it was House, but he definitely 2007. Yeah. his opinion. The guy who had it before him, or the guy who had him before him, James Jeffords, Jim Jeffords, um became an independent and started caucusing with the Democrats in 2001, he voted against. Mm. So the office <laughs> voted against. He was, what did he do? He was a part, yeah, he was a, he was a representative from Vermont. Yeah. Um, from 91 to 2007. Mm-hmm. And then prior to that was the mayor of Burlington. Interesting character. Yeah. 
So, yeah, he voted against the resolutions authorizing the use of force in Iraq. Okay, I guess you would have had a vote if he was in the Both times. Both times. Okay. Um, Anyway. But, yeah, so it definitely, um, going back to the song, it's, uh, I I read it as talking about that Iraq war situation post 9-11. Yeah, I I, I like that because I think that makes a lot of sense, obviously, with given the theme. Um, I guess the one thing I do want to come back to is this is a song that if we're going to take our read of it is very serious. Mm -hmm. So why do we include that Steve Lacey line at the beginning? Yeah. Honestly, I, 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 I get the idea of maybe trying to be a little avant-garde and be a little like almost like lo-fi, if you will, with it. But at the same time, I do feel like it detracts. So, so supposedly on on episode 92 of time crisis ezra said talked about how keeping studio chatter is a way of making sure that nothing is too polished and acknowledging the work that occurred so i totally get that and i totally get the idea of 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 adding a little flavor to yeah, it yeah but the but placement again, yeah yeah the idea of it being those words with this song doesn't seem right to me yeah i don't know i'm not a songwriter i wouldn't (laughs) be able to write this album but i just don't i don't like it here quite frankly Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's interesting placement because it would make a lot more sense on surface level if it was in the next song which is sunflower totally which is just a like jazz do that song <laughs> yeah because we've Scat and song. i know we've we've kind of talked about this like movement of the album where you go sympathy sunflower flower moon and maybe you want to add that like we talked about skit kind of thing that little line there at the beginning mm-hmm. and maybe that's it i'm not sure make it a three song steve lacy bit yeah. yeah yeah that's a good point something like that yeah we also needed to talk about the end of verse five and spill the blood of the arrogant mosquitoes. So did you see what that was referencing? Yeah. So somebody, I forget who said it, but someone said somewhere that the origin of the term mosque, which is actually not what's used in, do I have this right? Am I talking about the right thing? Yeah. Someone said basically the term mosque came from the word for mosquito which is not actually what, yes, yes. So, which is not what it's supposed to be. Yeah, so this is false, uh, to be clear. Okay. But there was a rumor that um, mosque originated from Queen Isabella of Spain while Spain was occupied by, uh, by Muslims, um, referring to them as mosquitoes. Um, and so that's where mosque came from. Um, because in Spanish, they're very similar. And so um, that was false, uh, according to what I read. But it is a prevalent rumor. And so I do believe that is what the band is referencing here. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't see why else you'd use... For the, for the band being as word. intentional as they are, um, I think it makes sense for them to be using mosquitoes for that reason. It's a fun word so yeah it's i mean can't discount 
it, it's sounding good. <laughs> I think you could you could make the case that the mosquito is the worst animal on planet Earth. And nothing, I mean that in no relation to the uh, relation that's being made here between yes. <laughs> mosques and mosquitoes. But I think the mosquito, the, the insect, we could probably say is the worst animal on Earth. So there is, I wrote a 10-page essay on this. Um, so <laughs> um, there it are people who want to um, eradicate mosquitoes entirely because on surface level, they serve no environmental purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you have a point, but there's also what uh, a lot of people, which I'm in the camp of, that believe it would be ethically wrong to eradicate mosquitoes because it would be using um, this technology called CRISPR, uh, which you can introduce um, genes into their um, DNA. And this one gene can essentially render their offspring infertile. And eventually that gene would go throughout the population and destroy the population. Um, And so this has been done on small scale and has worked. So we know it can work, but um, there's just way too many ifs. And the food chain and just the environment in general is so complex that you really don't know if they're served a purpose Mm -hmm. until you actually destroy them and you realize, oh, shoot, they did serve a very important purpose. And now we have no way of getting them back. So there's also... You, you know you could explore the philosophy of even if we knew for certain they truly had no purpose is it right to yeah. get rid of a species you know what yeah. i mean is so, it right to give people that agency even if it is a species that it truly serves no purpose it's like the appendix we don't need an appendix nico yeah. and yet why don't we remove them for everybody mm-hmm. we don't unless it's necessary yeah so um So yeah, there definitely is also a slippery slope argument towards it of if you get rid of this one, then now this technology can be used towards anything. And so when does it stop? And so, yeah, it's it's a controversial thing within bioethics, um, but um, as as goes with most bioethics, in my opinion, the (laughs) usual answer is wait. Like, (laughs) just don't act yet. Also, you bring up the um, you bring up the slippery slope, which is people say is a logical fallacy. I agree that it is a logical fallacy in the sense that it does not prove an argument, it does not make an argument. But I'm of the camp that you should still consider the slippery slope. Mm-hmm. I agree that it does not prove an argument or disprove an argument, but I still think that it's worthwhile considering how things are going to look after an action has been taken. Yeah. These are, I I can say that, right? We can, we can be comfortable with that. All right. I just wanted to, I wanted to say that to the folks out there because that's an opinion I've had for a while. I've talked with some people and everyone, because every time you say a slippery slope, people are like, Oh, slippery slope. And it's like, that's not what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just an additional point to consider. Yes. Um, Yes. It's not the only basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you. But yeah, so I guess we haven't talked about the course yet, but I think at this point, it's a little self-explanatory. Now we've got that sympathy, what I'm to you, you are to me, let's go. So they've reached that resolution. They have that alliance. Mm -hmm. What I'm to you, you to me, let's go. 
They're in it. Let, let, let's let's go be Islamophobic. <laughs> this is this is definitely a unique point because it's it's I don't want to say it's like understood, but like you kind of if you if you lean left of center, you kind of start to think about how this happens, but yet to actually like say it like this is very it's 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 an opinion it's not taken very often you know yeah for sure um but yeah it's you you're right it isn't unique song in the sense that's preceded by this statement to not take his stuff seriously and then followed by this incredibly complex and serious topic mm-hmm. um so I, I think it's just vampire weekend working their magic again to add complexities into every song Mm -hmm. that's why we're here (laughs) we could we couldn't do we we could not do this 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 type of podcast if they couldn't do it so that's why we're here for sure that's how we make big bucks one one thing i did forget to mention in verse one and two he said because i was looking in the mirror the way he says it is a reference to kurt vile pretty pimpin when he's really the mirror yeah you know i don't know much about kurt files music but he's been recommended to me on a number of occasions and yeah he was the lead singer of war on drugs which i is very like a definitely a proceeder of vampire weekend so i'm not surprised at all yeah i've 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 heard a good amount about the war on drugs as well and i just don't people tell you about music and you don't always listen to it but it, it's still out there. <laughs> I don't know, Kevin. As a music freelance music journalist, I think you gotta check it. No, it, it's check my out job. The references, yeah. It's absolutely my job. Um, I'm just slacking in this in this area. <laughs> um, so, favorite lyric? Ooh, um, I feel like I had an answer to this. Um, I can go first. Yeah, go um, ahead. I, I like the Queen Isabella reference and spill the blood of the arrogant mosquitoes, even if it's not a true reference, but it's cool. I like the, in the ping pong match, a constant desire. I was never going to get ahead because I was looking in the mirror. That's good. That's ping really pong nice. Match, the way he says ping pong match has the vibe of a ping pong match because it's like going back and forth in tone at, or in pitch almost. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Top five. This life, stranger, unbelievers. Um, let's go. Let's slide ladies of Cambridge back into the top five. Um, and then give me some flower moon. Flower moon's really good. Okay. You, you okay. got me in the flower moon train. <laughs> I'll go flower moon, everlasting arms, unble- unbearably re- white. Oof um unbelievers and for the fifth one i'll go what's a first album one that i can include ah walcott walcott um go campus campus you usually put campus up there yeah and then our hat for this week yes i have a hat from knockout pizza it's a flat brim black and white hat knockout pizza in carlsbad california now i have no experience or i guess i should say very little experience with uh new york city tri-state area pizza uh but with that being said 
I contend that Knockout Pizza in Carlsbad, California is a top five pizza restaurant in America. Wow. I am a big fan. <laughs> so our song for next week is Cape Cod Casa Casa. Yes. Okay. Uh, this is like big this hit. is a big this is a big freaking deal. <laughs> so tune in everyone next week to hear us analyze Cape Cod Casa Casa. Take it easy, folks. Bye.